Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you to the session and to David for inviting me to preach. Um, I got a chance to speak with him yesterday, and it was one of those times where he's on the phone and he says, hey, Ken, can you help me preach? And I thought, yes, sir, I'll be happy to help you because it's evident that you, uh, you need to get well. So uh, we're going to pray for him in a little bit. Uh, prayers. Romans chapter 5 uh, comes in the middle of this first section of Romans, Romans 1 to 8, where Paul wants to set forth a vision of two different parentages, two different spiritual lineages. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. That's Romans chapter 5, and we will get there shortly. Before we do, let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we ask, as we sang, Lord, uh, that this word will bless your people. We ask, O Lord, that the word of God would meet its mark and change us from the inside out, even as we consider what it is to have life in Christ, the Son of God. We pray in his name. Amen. My favorite passage of Romans is Romans chapter 8. You guys know it, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is using Romans chapter 1 through 7 to build to, because of what I said in Romans 1 through 7, there is no more condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Paul begins his letter. You can imagine Paul writing. You know, he's writing to the church in Rome, who are largely a, a Jewish congregation. He's writing to these people that are soon to be persecuted. And Romans chapter 1 sort of goes like this This is Paul writing to you, to the church in Rome, blah, 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 blah. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the knowledge of God in their unrighteousness. Paul, from the very beginning, wants the message of the gospel to start with a pronouncement of where the gospel starts, which is that God's wrath has been revealed against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. He goes on to say that Jew and Gentile are under the same wrath, lest these Jewish believers think that because, you know, they're sons of Abraham, that they get to escape the wrath that Paul just wrote about. No, he says that all of us are under God's wrath, both Jew and Greek. He goes on to talk about the righteousness of God in chapter 5 is revealed through faith. And Martin Luther helped us to understand that the righteousness that's revealed is not our righteousness, but it's God's righteousness, who can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's why God is righteous. Because he, by mentioning a word from his mouth, can declare the sinner righteous. Now that's pretty important, right? Because if God first declares 
My wrath is against all who shake their fist at me, who suppress the truth that they know can clearly be seen in all creation. It's equally important that that same God who could pronounce his just wrath can say, but I have another word, and that word is righteousness and peace in Christ. He says uh, in these early chapters that Abraham was the model of our faith. He's going to go on in chapter 9 to say, you know, but not all that are born of Abraham are sons of Abraham. Because the real children of Abraham are the ones that have faith like Abraham. And scandal of scandal, even the Gentiles are children of Abraham if they have the faith of Abraham. He goes on to tell us that we have peace with God because of his love. And then he gets to Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, but in chapter 5, what Paul wants to do is set forth, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but he tells us in chapter 1 that there's nothing but condemnation for the world that is against him, then we have to sort that out. And that's what he does for us in chapter 5. I want to read verses 12 through 19 for you. And this is where Paul sets forth this uh, dynamic of these two types of men, these two examples. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 19. This is God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And then Paul concludes, speaking of Jesus, the eternal life in Jesus our Lord. You might have caught a couple of words that Paul repeats over and over and over. He says, the one man, the one man, the one man, the one man, the one man. And he's going back and forth between the one man, Adam, and the one man, Jesus Christ. And this gift that we had from Adam, 
and a different type of gift that we have in Christ. What we're going to see in this chapter is, or in this, in this passage is Adam is what we call a type of Christ. So Adam is like the diminutive, sinful version of Christ. They have some things in common, but not very much. And Paul will expound that for us. And he does that uh, right around verse 15. He contrasts Adam's sin and God's gift. And then he explains to us just how different Christ is from Adam. And he explains in his terminology what he calls the second Adam. Well, first, Adam is a type of Christ. We see in uh, verse 14, we see that death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of one to come. You see, what Paul starts out with is, uh, don't think that there wasn't any sin in the world, you know, before the law came. Because death reigned all the way back to Adam until the law came with Moses. And death reigned through that sin. And he says that Adam's sinning, or Moses' sinning, was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of one to come. What he's talking about is that we who sin, our sin is different than Adam's. We commit the same acts. We have the same treachery in our heart. But it wasn't exactly the same, you see, because Adam was the one man, the one perfect man that God created in his image and set him in the garden and said, walk with me and I will bless you. But if you disobey me, you leave me no choice but to take your life from you. Thank goodness that you and I aren't like Adam, right? You know, we sin, and all we see is God's mercy. We don't sin, and all of a sudden a lightning bolt strikes us dead. We don't sin, and all of a sudden we get cancer. No, you see, God's righteous, what would you call it? Perseverance with us. His patience with us, even with Adam who he gave one simple command to, is shown in the fact that he doesn't extinguish the human race in a simple heartbeat. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. That's our sin. Who, and Adam was a type of the one to come. You see, Adam is a representative of the human race. Adam is the one that God put in his creation, to say, you know, let me create this people that can praise my glorious grace, who can, who can shed my image abroad. And what Paul tells us is that when Adam sinned, all of us sinned. Some of you may be thinking, wait a minute. I'm a good Calvinist, but I'm not, I'm not sure about this I'm sinning when Adam sinned stuff. Okay, well, let's just think about that a little bit. If we think longer than a few seconds, we're all going to be able to name a catalog of sins that we have done. 
because Adam sinned, we all sinned. You see, we sin in Adam is the point. Because we, apart from God's grace, are all in Adam. That's what Paul is telling us. So Adam is a type of Christ. He says, sin reigned. Uh, There was sin in the world, and it brought death in Adam in verse 12. Uh, He goes on to say this interesting thing in in verse 13. He says that the law magnified sin. Remember, he's speaking to those who would love to say that the law saved them. And he says, no, people, you don't understand. God gave you the law, not so that you could pat yourself on the back for how great you are at having the law. He gave you the law so that you would know what sin truly is. James tells us that the law is like a mirror that we hold up to our face. And you know, when we look in that mirror, we don't like what we see. God's law is a mirror to tell us that we cannot follow that law on our own. Adam is just proof positive of that. Wouldn't you like to walk with God in the cool of the day? To have there not be any sin? And Adam forfeits it in an instant. And in so doing, brings death upon the human race. Paul goes on after he tells us that Adam is a type of Christ or a type of the one to come. And I'll I'll explain that word type in just a moment. He goes on to tell us that Adam's sin is not like the gift that we have in Christ. Verse 15 says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass. The one free gift is not like the single trespass. You see, he just got done speaking about how Adam trespassed. He he went counter to God's law. He fell short. And Paul talks about this gift. You know, there's a gift that's different than the trespass. For, end of verse 15, if Many died through the one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul's making what we call an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if Adam, if what Adam did can infect an entire race of people, much more can the free gift of God, who he gave in his righteousness to his people, abound for the many. And this word abound is, is super abound. It's just to say a word that you can't think of how much abundance of grace there is. Much more will the gift of grace of that one man Christ superabound for the many. And he goes on to continue this contrast. The free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. And this is where it gets interesting. He says this For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And then he says, But the free gift following many trespasses brought condemnation justification. So look at what Paul's doing. He's saying, the one sin that Adam created brought condemnation upon everybody. But after many sins, repeated sins, over and over and over sins, Christ's gift isn't like Adam. 
Because what followed the free gift of Christ is that these many trespasses that he looked over brought justification. And it's an interesting comparison because you would think that the opposite of condemnation uh, is certainly not justification. The opposite of condemnation might be freedom or release or uh, acquittal, something to that effect. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say that, you know, Adam and Christ's gifts are different because in Adam you were condemned, but in Christ you're set free. We certainly are set free, but that's not what Paul says. He chooses his words carefully when he says, but the gift of Christ brought justification. You see, you and I are not merely set free from sin when we, what Paul says, become in Christ, when we become slaves of righteousness. He doesn't, God doesn't set the clock back, as it were, to remind us of the times where we weren't as sinful as we are now. And maybe if you try again harder, because you know you've read your Bible a whole lot, you've been going to church a long time, and you know you pray and you do all those things that you ought to do, now that you're in Christ, let's, let's start again. Just try a little harder. You know, follow that law. You know, don't put any gods before me and use my name the right way and, you know, follow the Sabbath or... You know, keep the Sabbath holy and don't disobey your parents and submit to them and don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet. Mm -mm. The free gift of God is not like the gift of Adam. It's not like God just says, okay, great, I'm setting you free, you're on your own, good luck this time. Now you're one of those super Christians, you got the word of God and you're going to make it on your own, don't worry about it. Try, 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 try. No, that is not the gospel of Christ. Paul tells us that the gospel of Christ is that after many trespasses, your trespasses and my trespasses, God says, you are righteous. He doesn't say you're righteous because you're righteous. You and I know we are not righteous. Can we all agree on that? He says, you are righteous because this gift that I'm giving you merits perfect righteousness. And though you are in sin, this idea of justification, you know, our catechism tells us that justification is God's declaration. His word that he pronounces and makes it so. He says, Ken, even though you're a miserable sinner, because you're in Christ, I'm going to call you righteous. And because I call you righteous, you can praise my name. And out of that righteousness, which I have declared, you can now obey in a way that you didn't know about before, where you were just trying to follow the law. Now you can obey in humility and grace. God's gift is not like the gift that Adam gave us. Verse 17 says that death reigned over man because of Adam, and those who believed in Christ have life in Christ. Death and life, condemnation, justification. Paul's setting up this contrast for us. He goes on to tell us about what he calls the second Adam 
verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ is the second Adam because he came to fulfill what Adam could not complete. He came to obey God's perfect command when Adam couldn't. And remember, you and I are in Adam. You know, the idea here is if they take me and they put me back in the Garden of Eden, the idea is you're not going to fare any better than Adam. None of us would. That's why we need someone else. We need another Adam. We need another representative who can merit God's perfect blessing and his, his declaration of righteousness that we can be part of. This second Adam comes because of one act of righteousness. It could be God's declaration that's his righteousness. It could be, uh, and certainly is, Christ's perfect obedience. His submitting to the will of God. Sin reigns in death for those that are in Adam, and grace reigns through righteousness that we get eternal life through Christ. Now, what do we do with all of this? It's nice to know that you and I who are in Christ, have been what Paul says, uh, we've been transferred. God takes us and he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that a great picture of the gospel? God says, yes, you're a man of miserable sinner, but let me give you a gift. Let me open your eyes. Romans 9 is going to go on to say that even the faith that we have, God gave us. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it clear also that God, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That God's gift is the thing that makes us righteous. So what do we do with this? Well, Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, tells us a few things that we ought to do. And I think the first one is that we ought to endure suffering with a degree of patience. He tells us in verse 35, or excuse me, verse 3 through 5, he says, not only that, this is chapter 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I mean, the ultimate encouragement to endure, to keep going, to not stop, to not despair, is that you have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, 
We endure suffering with patience. I love at the end of uh, chapter 8, you know, like I said, chapter 8 is just amazing. This is where Paul says, no. In all of the trials that we have, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he goes on to say that he's convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nothing in all God's creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, in the one who gave us the free gift. We endure suffering with patience. Certainly, we have an example in the Lord Jesus Christ, our ultimate example of suffering through patience, right? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that in light of this being in Christ, we can do a few things. We ought to endeavor to grow in grace, to be sanctified. Chapter 12 tells us in the first verse, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God. What an interesting phrase. Let me ask you, brothers, because of the mercy of God, present your members as living sacrifices. Because of the mercies of God? That's kind of odd. Because of the mercies of God, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, isn't that where we're headed? The gospel is birthed in Christ's gift. And yet we grow in that gift. We grow in that gift by actually endeavoring to obey the word of God. And we do that by the mercies of God, is what Paul tells us. So much so that we could present ourselves as living, excuse me, living sacrifices. This is where he goes on to say we ought to be transformed, not conformed to the world. Finally, we ought to ask ourselves, are we in Adam or are we in Christ? Remember Paul's Start of the gospel. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. It doesn't stop getting revealed because we think we have it together or because all the, we have a great resume of being a Christian or being a great citizen or having a lot of money or whatever it is that we end up putting in our, uh, in our, in our sort of wind column. And it's different for all of us. No, you see, the only thing that we have, the only merit that we have, is somebody else's merit. It's the merits of Christ, the perfect Son of God. And so, brothers and sisters, we start with asking ourselves, am I in Christ? Am I in the war? Am I endeavoring to live out this righteousness Presenting my members, as it were, as sacrifices, living sacrifices. Am I in the struggle? You know, I've heard this idea of perseverance, Christian perseverance, uh, 
very eloquently spoken of in this way. If you question that you, if you are in Christ, am I good enough for God? There's a good chance you're in Christ. Interesting, right? Because only someone who's humble enough to say, there is no way I deserve this free gift that God gave me in Christ. Only that person is humble enough to say, I, I don't know. I, man, I'm, I'm bad. I don't deserve that. Brothers and sisters, we ought to live our lives with a healthy dose of humility as we present our lives as living sacrifices to Christ. Now, certainly, don't get me wrong. When we're in Christ, we are in Christ, and we're not going anywhere. What I'm referring to is how we experience that being in Christ. We ought to be humble enough to say, thank God for Jesus, because I am so far gone that apart from him, I have no hope. And in that way, we preach the gospel to ourselves. That's what I'm referring to. That's that dynamic of perseverance, sort of holding us accountable, as it were. Question yourself. Am I in Christ? Am I, am I rooted in the vine? Or am I a son of Adam? Do I like the things Adam likes? And do I let those things captivate my heart? We can all figure out what those things are for us. But brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that though we were sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. And he did that through his gift of Jesus Christ, the one man, the perfect man who stands before us in our place. And when God looks at us, he looks through the lens of Christ, as it were. And that's something that we can rejoice in as his living sacrifices. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, how deep are the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God that you in your righteousness are both just and you're the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, we are so grateful that, uh, that we weren't left in Adam. Father, that because you desired to, to bring a people along to the praise of your glorious grace, a people that would know mercy even though they have no claim on it. We thank you for that, Lord. We don't approach you, Lord, as those who... who you, st you set the clock back and you started it over and now we're trying again by our own strength. No, Lord, we come despite our miserable failings and we plead the blood of Christ before your throne and we say, thank you, Lord, for this free gift that you've given us. Thank you for the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer, Lord, as we go our way this week is that you would set our roots deep in the vine 
that we would be rooted so in Christ that, that though we encounter all kinds of trials and all kinds of discouragement and, Lord, even lawlessness before our eyes, that we would endeavor to present ourselves as living sacrifices. We pray for the wisdom to know how to do that and the strength to do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.